Psalm 24, a Davidic psalm. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. For he laid its foundation on the seas and established it on the rivers. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not set his mind on what is false and who has not sworn deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Rise up, ancient doors. Then the king of glory will come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Rise up, ancient doors. Then the king of glory will come in. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. The second reading comes from John chapter 18, beginning at verse 28, and it can be found on page 998 of the Church Bibles. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They did not enter the headquarters themselves, otherwise they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. Then Pilate came out to them and said, What charge do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. So Pilate told them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. It's not legal for us to put anyone to death, the Jews declared. They said this so that Jesus' words might be fulfilled, signifying what kind of death he was going to die. Then Pilate went back into the headquarters, summoned Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you asking this on your own, or have others told you about me? I'm not a Jew, am I? Pilate, Pilate replied. Your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. As it is, my kingdom does not have its origin here. You are a king then, Pilate asked. You say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this and I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to to my voice. What is truth, said Pilate. After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no grounds for charging him. You have a custom that I release one prisoner to you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They shouted back, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a revolutionary. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they threw a purple robe around him. And they repeatedly came up to him and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and was slapping his face. Pilate went outside again and said to them, Look, I'm bringing him outside to you to let you know I find no grounds for charging him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. 
Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priests and the temple police saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate responded, Take him and crucify him yourselves, for I find no grounds for charging him. We have a law, the Jews replied to him, and according to that law he must die, because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was more afraid than ever. He went back into the headquarters and asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus did not give him an answer. So Pilate said to him, You're not talking to me. Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? You would have no authority over me at all, Jesus answered him, if it hadn't been given to you from above. This is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. From that moment, Pilate made every effort to release him. But the Jews shouted, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside. He sat down on the judge's bench in a place called the Stone Pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was the preparation day for the Passover, and it was about six in the morning. Then he told the Jews, Here is your king. But they shouted, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Should I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. So then, because of them, he handed him over to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Our sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross, and we bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. Father, we want to praise you this morning for your love for us, for your care for us, for the way that you don't treat us as our sins deserve, for the way that you forgive us, for the hope of heaven, for the certainty of eternal life. And we praise you this morning for the scriptures, the way that you feed us and nourish us and refine us and rebuke us and correct us and spur us on as your word is preached. And we pray this morning for a powerful work of your spirit. Lord, we are weak without you. We are helpless without you. We need you here in this place this morning to take your word and implant it deeply into our hearts and our minds. So please do that mighty work. In Jesus' name. We've sung it this morning, Jesus is the mighty, mighty king. I said last night, we should say, Jesus is the mighty, mighty king. But we don't say in Australia, Jesus is the mighty, mighty king. Uh, we love the song, Jesus is the mighty, mighty king. It's a kid's song, isn't it? But it's actually quite profound. Do you realize what you're saying? Jesus is the mighty, mighty king. But what you're actually singing is that Jesus is the king of the world. You're singing that Jesus is the, the boss over everything. You are singing that you're not in, in charge of your life. You're not the most important in your life, personal life, but Jesus is. He is the king of the whole world. Uh, you are singing that Jesus has the authority. He created everything. He rules over everything. He reigns. He's seated on his throne. He has the authority. He has the power, he has the reign, he has the rule, he is the king. We sing the kids' version, Jesus the mighty, mighty king. We see the, sing the adult version. Remember, you are my king, Jesus, you are my king. 
It's one thing to sing Jesus is the king. It's another thing to sing Jesus is my king. Do you realize what you're singing there? Jesus is my king. You're saying, I am not the boss. Uh-uh. I've taken the crown off my own head and I put the crown on Jesus' head because he is the boss over me. To say Jesus is my king, it changes my allegiance. I'm about living for Jesus. I'm about honoring Jesus. I'm about obeying Jesus. I'm about giving Jesus the, the loyalty that he deserves because he is really my king. If you're singing Jesus is your king, it's about changing your, your values. That You no longer value the things that the world values, but you start to value the things that your king values. What does Jesus value? Truth. Justice. Mercy. Kindness. Compassion. Are those the kind of things that you value if you're claiming Jesus is your king? If you're saying Jesus is your king, then you, you have a, a change in your priorities because you're not in charge of your life. So you start to make decisions in accordance with what Jesus would teach you rather than what the world teaches you or what you want to do. You know when you get that bit of scripture where you read the scripture and you think, I don't like that. If Jesus is your king, it's not about whether you like it or not. Will you obey it? Will you do it? Will you change your life because of it? When we read John 18 and 19 this morning, it's pretty clear that Jesus is the king, isn't it? Pilate presents Jesus to the crowd and says, here is your, your king. Here's your ruler, here's your reigner. That's the purpose of John's gospel. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the what? The Messiah. What does the word Messiah mean? King, God's anointed king, God's chosen king. As you read John's gospel, you're supposed to say, I I trust, I have confidence that Jesus is the king of the world and the king of my life. Pilate had a a notice put over the cross, didn't he? Jesus the Nazarene, King of the Jews. And the crowd said, and the, the, uh, the chief priest said, no, no, change that notice to he claimed to be King of the Jews. And Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. He is King of the Jews. There's no question he is King. Uh, the question is, will you live with him as your King? Do you recognize he's your King? Do you live with him as your King? Augustine said these words. He said, Jesus Christ is not valued at all until he's valued above all. He's saying there that until you put Jesus number one in your life, until you order your life as though he is the most important thing, the most important person, no one has more authority than Jesus in your life. No one has a higher place than Jesus in your life. Then you don't really value Jesus at all. And when we turn to John chapters 18 and 19, what you find is the king is in the dock. The king is on trial. But actually, he's not on trial, is he? It's actually Pilate who is on trial. Pilate is forced to ask the question, do you think Jesus is king? Do you recognize Jesus as your king? Will you act in a way that says Jesus is my king? And we're on trial this morning as we read John chapter 18 and 19. 
Let me ask you right up front. Do you say Jesus is your king? Do you say Jesus is king? Do you live with Jesus as king? Do you order your life as though he really is boss of everything? I want to focus on Pilate this morning. Pilate is, is the uh, what not to be like, if you want. Please do not be like Pilate. When you are face to face with King Jesus, please don't be a Pontius Pilate. And Pilate is probably one of the most famous men in history, isn't he? Uh, his name is uttered by millions of people across the world every single weekend. As we say, the, the Apostles' Creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Have you thought about that? Apart from Mary, Jesus is the only human being that's actually mentioned in that creed. Why Pilate? Why not Caiaphas or Herod or Caesar? Why Pilate? Because Pilate is the picture of humanity and what we're not supposed to be like. When you're face-to-face with King Jesus, please don't do a Pilate. I find Pilate a fascinating man. He's not a disciple. He's not a Peter who knows lots about Jesus and denies Jesus. He's not a chief priest who is threatened by Jesus. He's a a Roman governor, like the head prefect. The word for governor is actually prefect. So he's got his headquarters in 18 verse 28, his palace. He's got a balcony to address the crowds. He's got a a throne, a judgment seat to sit on in 19 verse 13. He's a powerful prefect. He's a man of power who is face to face with King Jesus. There's a great question in our Bible study groups this week. If you could pick an actor to play Pilate, who would you choose? If you're making a film of the passion narrative, who would you choose to play, play Pontius Pilate? Please don't say Russell Crowe, sort of gladiator style. I think the best answer is Rowan Atkinson from Blackadder. <laughs> it's kind of that weak, insipid, indecisive kind of leader. Or the uh, Alan Rickman, you know, who played Snape in the Harry Potter, a bit sort of creepy, ineffective, you can't really trust the man. Here's how I describe Pontius Pilate. It's on the screen. The powerful prefect who is perplexed by Jesus is a pathetic people pleaser. That's Pontius Pilate. Let, let's meet him in the text. 18 verse 28. They took Jesus from Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters to Pilate's house. It was early in the morning. Uh, literally, it's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. when the roosters just crowed. I, I don't know about you, but that's not the best time for me to make big decisions between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. Uh, Pilate is there eating his breakfast and there's a knock on the door and suddenly an urgent case. They bring in Jesus, except they don't bring in Jesus, do they? Look at verse 28. They didn't enter the palace. Otherwise, they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. Uh, so the Jews refused to go into a Gentile house. Otherwise, they will be unclean. I find that totally ironic. They, they go to great lengths to avoid ritual uncleanness, but they're willing to kill a man. And so Pilate acts on these two stages. He comes out to to dialogue with the Jews. He goes back inside to interrogate Jesus. 
So Pilate came out in verse 29 and says, What charge do you bring against this man? What's he done wrong? Look at the answer. If, them, if this man were not a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. What's, what's the charge they make? They've got nothing, have they? They're basically saying, trust us. Don't ask any questions, Pilate. Just rubber stamp our plan to execute this man. And Pilate tries to pass the buck in verse 31. Take him yourselves. Judge him according to your law. It's not legal for us to put anyone to death, they said. It is legal. They're allowed to stone people, but they can't crucify a man. And they want Jesus crucified. But did you notice in verse 32 how God wanted Jesus crucified as well? They said this so that Jesus' words might be fulfilled, signifying what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus knew he was going to be crucified. And so Pilate takes the case, and he's kind of perplexed by who Jesus is. Are you the king of the Jews, verse 33? I think the sense there is one of surprise. Are you really a king? You don't look like a king. Are you serious? You are the king of the Jews? And Jesus' answer is majestic in verse 34. Are you asking this on your own or have others told you about me? He's saying, Pilate, come on, let's get the the terms right. Who who is asking this question? If you're asking me as a, a Roman citizen, then no, I'm not a king. I'm not the kind of political revolutionary that you expect to be a king. I'm not the kind of dictator who's after taxes and power. I'm not that kind of king. But if you're asking me on behalf of the Jewish priests, then yes, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. So who's asking the question? And Pilate says in verse 35, what have you done, Jesus? Why are you here? And Jesus, as he always does, he dictates the conversation. My kingdom, not of this world. I am a king but not the king that you expect. Verse 37 is quite offensive, isn't it? I was born for this. I've come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. He's saying, I am truth. I am the king who teaches the truth. If you want to know the truth about yourselves, come to Jesus. If you want to know the truth about the world, come to Jesus. If you want to know the truth about your God, come to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. What is truth, says Pilate. That is Pilate. He's kind of perplexed by Jesus. He doesn't understand who Jesus is. And so Pilate kind of sits on the fence. He is unwilling to make a decision either for Jesus or against Jesus. Can I say sitting on the fence is the worst place to be? Jesus either is king or he's not king. Please don't patronize him with that kind of indecision of sitting on the fence. Sitting on the fence is the most uncomfortable place to sit, isn't it? You can't sit there for long. You're either with Jesus or you're against Jesus. And what makes Pilate so pathetic is that he had the power to release Jesus. He was supposed to be in charge and Pilate wanted to release Jesus, but he didn't. Do you spot how many times Pilate said that Jesus was innocent? 
Not once, not twice, but three times. Spot a pattern there? How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. How many times did Pilate say Jesus was innocent? Three times. It is there in 18 verse 38. I find no grounds for charging him. 19 verse 4, I find no grounds for charging him. 19 verse 6, I find no grounds for charging this man. So Pilate knew he was innocent. So what did he do next? He tried the, the presidential pardon in verses 38 and 39. He had the, the power to release one prisoner. So shall I release a murderer or Jesus? You decide. And the crowd said, give Barabbas. And next he tries a compromise in 19 verse 1. That's what that's about. He knows he's innocent, but he still has Jesus flogged and mocked. And I think this is like Pilate is saying, let's just do a gentle beating. That will satisfy them, and then we can release him. So, so the flogging in, in 19 verse 1 is not that kind of violent flogging that you see at the end of the Gospels after he's been charged, where he's tied to a post and you get the cat of nine tails. It's not that kind of violent flogging. It's that sort of gentle flogging. They just slap him around a bit. And they put the crown of thorns. They mock him with a crown of thorns. They, they mock him with a pretend purple robe. Ha, huh, you pretend to be king. And they mock him with their words, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slap him around a bit. And Pilate went outside and says, I find no grounds for charging him. But the chief priest shout, Crucify him! Crucify him! Let me ask you the question, why did Pilate crucify Jesus? If he knew he was innocent... Why did he hand him over to be crucified? Do you know why? There's a couple of words in verse 16 of chapter 19. So then, because of them, he handed Jesus over to be crucified. Because of the crowds, because of the people, because of the people-pleasing mentality of our pathetic Pontius Pilate. He was more concerned about how people would view him than he was concerned about releasing the king of the Jews. He was listening to the voice of the world rather than the voice of Jesus. He was listening to the voice of the people rather than his own conscience. People-pleasing is an awful, awful, awful illness, isn't it? When you're so concerned about what other people think of you, when you're more concerned about how you're going to be viewed by your family and your friends and your peers and the people that you work with and the crowds of this world, when you're more concerned for what they think than what King Jesus thinks. If you have people here, people here this morning, people-pleasing will stop you from coming to faith. I see it all the time. People do the Christianity Explored courses and they read Mark's Gospel and they investigate the evidence and they're convinced that Jesus really is the Christ. They're convinced he's the Son of God. But, but then they say, oh, no, no, I, I couldn't become a Christian because 
uh, my wife wouldn't like it, or my husband wouldn't like it, or my parents wouldn't like it, or my friends would mock me. You're face to face with King Jesus, but you're, you're more concerned about what the world thinks than the evidence before you. You're face to face with the king of the world, but you're more concerned about pleasing the crowd. Isn't that pathetic? People pleasing will stop you from coming to faith, and people pleasing will cripple your faith. It will stop you from growing in your faith. Think about it. Why do you compromise in your faith? When you read the scriptures and you're, you're convicted and you're convinced by something in the scriptures and you want to obey it, but you find yourself disobeying it, why do you do that? Isn't that kind of the, I want to be liked? I want to be accepted and the rest of the world are doing this and the voices of the world are louder than the voices of Jesus and you listen to the voice of the world, not the voice of Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're a people pleaser, it will stagnate your faith. You'll find it very hard to live under King Jesus as the boss of your life if you have a pathetic people-pleasing mentality. I reckon there are thousands of pilots around the world today. Thousands of pilots who are looking at the evidence but are scared of coming to Jesus. They just sit on the fence. And thousands of pilots who, they do believe in Jesus, but they're just people pleasers. Let me ask you a question. How do you think Pilate felt one week, two weeks, a month after Jesus had been killed. We don't know, do we? But how do you think he felt? He knew he was innocent. He knew an innocent man had died. Don't you think he felt a bit guilty? A bit embarrassed, perhaps? Where were the crowds then? Oh, they'd gone. And what I found in my life is that the crowds often go and leave you. They walk away, but Jesus never does walk away. So you, you're better off obeying Jesus and not trying to please the crowd. So do you call Jesus your king? He's my king. I'm proud to serve with him as my king. Will you honor him? Will you obey him? Will you let him be your king? So pilots who were not to be. But there's one man in this chapter who we should be like. And it's not just Jesus. Who's the man at the cross? Who's the man in this scene that you're supposed to be like? Do you know? Don't be a pilot, be a... Be a Barabbas. I love Barabbas. He's kind of the unsung hero of the... Crucifixion, isn't he? 18 verses 38 and 39. After he said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no grounds for charging Jesus. You have a custom I release one prisoner to you at the Passover. Do you want me to release you the king of the Jews? They shouted back, not this man, but Barabbas. And Barabbas was a revolutionary. Now, what do we know about Barabbas? You tell me. He's a terrorist. He's a... Murderer? He's not a nice man, is he? Uh, where is Barabbas on that first Good Friday? On death row. 
He's been convicted. He's guilty. He's about to be crucified. He wakes up this morning thinking, this is the day I'm going to die. And you realize on that first Good Friday, there were three crosses already ready for execution. There were two crosses, one on the left, one on the right, and there's a big cross in the middle. Who was that cross for on that first Good Friday? No, for Barabbas. Barabbas deserved to be on that cross that day. That was Barabbas' cross. And so you've got the innocent, the perfect King Jesus, and you've got a murderer called Barabbas. And what happens? The perfect swap happens, doesn't it? Jesus, the innocent one, walks to the cross. Barabbas, the guilty one, walks free. Jesus, the Son of God, is hung up to be crucified. And Barabbas, the murderer, he walks home. He's pardoned. He deserved to die. But Jesus steps in his place. Have you understood that you are the Barabbas of the story? Have you got that? The law is quite clear. We're to love God with our whole mind, heart, soul, and strength. Do do you keep that law perfectly? I don't. The the law is quite clear. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. Do you keep that law perfectly? I don't. I'm guilty. You are guilty. So we're the Barabbas. We're the ones who are the guilty ones who have been set free by the death of King Jesus. And again, John doesn't tell us, but come forward a month past Good Friday. How do you think Barabbas is feeling? He wakes up in his home every day and he eats his breakfast and he can walk outside and he should be dead. He should be either in prison or he should be killed. But he's walking free. I imagine he's full of joy, full of gratitude, full of amazement. Is that you, this Good Friday, this Easter time? Is that you that as you look at the cross where Jesus took your place, that your heart is going, it should have been me, it should have been me, it should have been me. Is your heart one of gratitude? Or is the cross a bit boring and a bit mundane and a bit sort of ho-hum for you now? As you read John chapter 19, you're supposed to say, do not be a pilot. Don't be a pathetic people pleaser. Be the Barabbas. Full of amazement, full of wonder that Jesus would die for you. So I'll ask you again, you sing it, Jesus the mighty, mighty king. Is he your king? Is he boss of everything? To help you answer that, I'm going to just going to read about Jesus. I'll invite the musicians to come forward. As I read it, just close your eyes and think about who Jesus is and say, is he my king? Is this my king? Am I living with him as my king? King Jesus is enduringly strong, entirely sincere, and eternally steadfast. King Jesus is immortally graceful, imperially powerful, impartially merciful. 
King Jesus is a sinner's saviour. Supreme, preeminent, the one able to supply all your needs. Strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes, he saves, he guards, he guides, he heals, he cleanses, he forgives. He delivers, he defends, he blesses, he serves. Do you know him? My king is a king of knowledge. My king is the wellspring of wisdom. My king is the doorway of deliverance. My king is the pathway of peace. My king is the roadway of righteousness. The highway of holiness. And the gateway of glory. You are my king. Amen.